before I start my day, I go around taking photographs. And then again, I have a favorite cafe there called Mirror by the river. And I sit there, start editing the photographs I took in the morning. Now, I find using the Lightroom to edit them is very therapeutic. I'm editing. I'm also preparing my day. I'm thinking about the things that I want to do and so on. So I find taking photos and also editing them on Lightroom is very therapeutic and it helps me to unwind and also focus. Hello, beautiful people. You're listening to Raji and this is episode 31 of Photo Country. If you love photography and want to discover new photographers to follow, this is the podcast you need to listen to. Do consider signing up for my Substack channel. The link is in the show notes. In this episode, I caught up with Mr. Karunamuttu, a lawyer, investor, and an ardent photography enthusiast from Wellington, New Zealand. He also happens to be related to me, but that's not the reason I am talking to him today. He is the quintessential modern travel photographer, armed with his trusted iPhone and occasionally using his Sony mirrorless. He captures the places he passes through and uses Lightroom to edit and to unwind. So let's get into the conversation. Thanks for your time, Mr. Karnamuthu, for coming on this podcast. My pleasure. So let's start at the beginning. I know for a fact that you were involved with cameras at a young age, right? Correct. So tell us something about how your journey started. I'm just wondering where I start. When I was back in Madurai in the 80, early 80s, I was a little boy. I was fascinated by photography and photos, actually, at those times, probably black and white. And my father was always photographed by media and various photographers from different media would come and take photos. And also local studios would have photography sessions. I used to be fascinated by it. And I used to go to Chennai from Madurai, where I was at the time, with my father and visit some studios which were, as you know, the movie studios. And I would sit there and watch movies being filmed and so on. So that fascination started quite young when I was about nine or 10. And I vividly remember around that age, an uncle of mine gave me two cameras. One is a still camera and another one was a movie camera. I don't really remember the brand, but I can tell you, I have this sneaky feeling that my uncle had a grudge against my father because I know it is not just a camera, but the film and developing it and printing it is an expensive affair at the time. So I would pester my father to buy me films and take videos which were just pathetic and amateurish and also photographs. So my journey in amateur photography started when I was about nine or 10. And it was all experimentation. It wasn't a digital age, it's an analog age. So you got to be really careful about composition and what the result would be in advance. got to be very careful. As I said, it's an expensive affair. So that's how it started. Do you have that collection still? All those photographs you took? Uh... You bet. But what is fascinating is actually when I visit some of my relatives and family back in India or even in the United Kingdom, some of my friends, would show me photographs and tell me, oh, remember this? You took this photo all those years ago. And that gives me a lot of satisfaction because I'm, I was an amateur, 
then, and I'm still an amateur now, but those moments are vividly in my head, even now when they talk about it. Yeah, because I think for a photograph, you capture a moment in time and sometimes a passage of time as well, depending upon the photograph, right? It'll be interesting to digitize all those photographs and possibly put it as an archive. So it'll be interesting to chronologically document all that and maybe even turn it into a photo book. It'll be an interesting exercise, if you ask me. Oh, I agree. Over a period of time, I used to think that I should digitize. I'm in a stage in my life where I have quite a few projects that I want to do. It's all in my bucket list. Possibly a, quite a big bucket. Absolutely. <laughs> Massive one. Do you remember what kind of camera it was? I started off with a Ryko camera and right. then... I had a Nikon F16. I pestered my father to buy me an analog, of course, those days. I can share a memory of taking photos if you want, Rajiv. You would know Mr. M.J. Ramachandran, who was Chief Minister of Tamil Nadu. And in fact, one of the events in our family was your father-in-law and mother-in-law's wedding. And I was carrying this camera around my neck, taking photographs and flashing. And anyway, he was sitting there on the podium and I went there and flashing him on his eyes. And of course, he used to wear this beautiful headgear and glasses. And he's a very close family friend of ours and my father's friend. Anyway, so he just got annoyed with me taking photos of him at close quarters and flashing his eyes. So he just grabbed me and said, sit down here and I'll tell you something. This is how you have to take a photo. And he asked me to keep the angle and not look flash at his eyes, but at the profile and all that. I, I really fondly remember that interaction with him. You must have photographed a lot of celebrities. You bet. Where do you start? So what kind of imagery did you capture at that time? Was it just family gatherings? I started taking photos of family and friends. But if you remember the 80s Madurai, where I was living, not many houses. The fields were converted into uh, residential areas and my house and a couple of other houses were the only houses in the area where we were living at the time. So the fields were really an inviting subject. So I used to go around taking photos of the fields. And then, of course, the Madurai has a plethora of venues where you can go and experiment, Anamalai and Pasumalai and so on. So I started taking photographs of cows and sheep, people, anything and everything, actually, because it was all self-taught. One thing I learned and I was fascinated by was actually the interplay between light and subject. So how did you get to know at that point aperture and focal length and nailing the focus and all that? Because on an analog camera, it's a completely different experience. But... Did you have any mentors or was it totally self-taught? Absolutely. Look, focus is actually pretty easy to learn um, or forced to learn because in those analog times or even now, if you don't focus, the photograph doesn't look what you wanted. So you pretty quickly learn to focus. And then, of course, aperture, ISO and all that is a learning process. And as I said, it was an expensive affair those days to buy films and develop and print and so on. But the anticipation of waiting for a photograph to come and see what you've done with your aperture or your focus or composition, I just can't describe. 
it was elation when I get one photograph that actually looks like a photograph. Focusing was the first one that I learned and the composition was the next and then aperture and everything was an experimentation. One of the things that I often come across between analog and digital is, especially for people like you who grew up learning everything analog and then transferring all those knowledge to digital. And you said there's this anticipation of how it would, because you don't know what the result is. Somehow with digital, that mystery is lost, number one. And number two, I think because we have this uh, obscene freedom of taking as many photographs as you want, you end up spending more time before the laptop culling your photographs while... Before, it was not the case. You spent more time actually taking shots. I agree. I can certainly trace the journey from using an analog camera to take a photograph, judiciously deciding what you want to take, how you want to take, how you want to compose the photograph, and so on, to today using a smartphone and doing a burst and decide which one you want to choose and check the rest. When digital cameras came, I think the first thing was actually video, digital video camera that morphed into a still camera for me. I think if I remember correctly, some model of Sony or Olympus. And I was still carrying on the analog habits of doing things and quickly learned I don't really need to worry about how it is going to turn up because I can see the result instantaneously. So I would just take photographs, but the basics of lights and the interplay between light and the subject and composing what you want to highlight, that skill goes with you from analog to digital. And now the ubiquitous smart devices that's always been carried by millions of people and taking photographs pretty much democratized the photography, I would say. So you've been like an ardent photographer for so many years and you also travel a lot so what's been your some of the favorite places that you loved photographing yeah you're right Rajiv. i I'm, I'm really lucky and privileged to have traveled close to 60 countries in the world and i'm not even a fucking diplomat and i'm so lucky and the answer to your question is where do i start there are so many destinations that I had the privilege of visiting over a few decades now. Every destination has its own charm. Those days, for example, when I started with Analog, going from Madurai to Dindico was fascinating because the subjects are different and the location is different. Singapore was my first overseas trip and taking photographs in the Tiger Garden and the streets of Singapore was just mind-blowing to me. And that was still analog era. And then going to England and had the opportunity to travel to Europe in the weekends, riding the U-Rail as a teenager was an enormous opportunity to experiment with photographs. And so the answer to the question is very hard because I have so many different favorite destinations. In New Zealand, my favorite destination is Queenstown. And I love going to Queenstown. I love taking photographs in Queenstown and the surrounds, whether it be Arrowtown or Glenorchy or within Queenstown itself. In Europe, I love Geneva. And from Geneva to a small place called 
Evian. Most people would know Evian water. And the ride from Geneva to Evian is the most stunning I ever been to anywhere in the world, other than, of course, Queenstown. So taking photographs there are fantastic. Oh, by the way, the other thing that just comes to my mind was taking photographs in Oxford and Cambridge. Every inch is full of history and the intricacies of the cobblestone street and the age-old buildings and the history behind it and the type of people who are biking and walking and riding. And then, especially during the Oxford-Cambridge boat race, all the paraphernalia of dressing up and competing and quintessentially English background just fascinated me. Fascinating. Yeah. It's documenting history. That's right. So being such a frequent traveler, do you now use predominantly your mobile phone as your device of choice or do you still carry around your DSLR? I have to make a confession that I do carry my mirrorless now, Raji. I moved from DSLR to mirrorless and also my smartphone. But what I find happening is the smartphone is able to take photographs as good as the mirrorless. And also it is small and it is in your pocket and you can just whip it out of your pocket and take a photograph at a moment's notice. But I also enjoy taking photographs in my camera, through my camera, because I do see, I'm sure you would agree with me, but the quality of photographs are getting better and better and the devices are getting better and better with the smartphones. There is no substitute for taking photographs with your camera on a good lens. Yeah, that's correct. Talking about flowers and macro, I've seen a lot of these flower photographs that you take and put on your feed. Are those using the phone or using the Sony mirrorless? Both. I'm a coffee addict and I go to my favorite cafe, Palmer's Gardens Cafe, not far from my, whenever I'm in Wellington. That's my first appointment in the morning for my work day. So I go there, have my favorite savory muffin, cup of long black and hot water by the side and enjoy it. And then take one muffin for my wife, you know, brown bag, put it on the table, just walk around the garden and take photographs of the flowers. And often what happens is the keepers, the, the garden, go around watering the plants. So first thing in the morning. So all the flowers are usually with water on the tills and, and that's so beautiful. So that's one of the reasons why I go to the cafe anyway. Just I love to be in the middle of those flowers. It doesn't matter what season it is, they have something out of there. And that's the reason I've been taking photographs of flowers there. Talking about having a hobby, I always believe that everyone has to have a hobby outside of one's profession. I believe that it keeps you sane. What's your view on that? My personal experience, I tend to agree with what you said. It is important to have a hobby outside of your professional sphere. For me, it is photography. And I also, like you, like to read of certain genre and also write prose and poetry. And for me, taking photographs, for example, I go to my office in Christchurch almost every week these days. And before I start my day, I go around taking photographs. And then again, I have a favorite cafe there called Mirror by the river. And I sit there, start editing the photographs I took in the morning. Now, I find using the Lightroom 
to edit them is very therapeutic. While I'm editing, I'm also preparing my day. I'm thinking about the things that I want to do and so on. So I find taking photo, photos and also editing them on Lightroom is very therapeutic and it helps me to unwind and also focus. So where do you see photography going? Because I know that you use a lot of gadgets like the one that you use, what's it called? I forget that name. Artificial intelligence gadget that sits on top of the camera. Arsenal. Arsenal, yeah. 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 There's so many things. Now we have the new AI engine, yeah. Wally. And it creates images of its own, which is like a photograph and a lot of which is taken over by algorithms and pieces of code and machine learning and so on and so forth. Where do you think it, it's going? Because things like copyright becomes an issue and there's a whole host of other unintended consequences of such technologies. What, what's your take on that? Because you're in, in the legal profession as well. I was going to say you had touched upon a subject that overlaps creativity, ownership of an intellectual property, as well as invasion of privacy and the very nature of what we produce. For example, the deep fake photography and videography. I'm not an expert in, I'm not a futurologist, so I can't tell where it is going. But what I can tell you is from my personal viewpoint that I would rather use an analog type of situation where I take time to look at the light, look at the subject, think about how I would like to create something out of what I see with my eyes into something that can be captured, as you said, a moment in time for me to savor in the future for myself and perhaps my future generations to come. Now, that is one thing. Now, beyond that, using my ability to create something, I said I find Lightroom or using Lightroom is therapeutic. It's something like using a sizzle and taking a storm and carving a statue out of something. But if you are moving into the territory where machine learning and artificial intelligence is taking over and creating things, and if it is right of poetry, is it a poetry? Is it a sentient person to feel what you and I feel as human beings? So if I'm taking a photograph, as I told you earlier on, when I go around visiting my family and friends in India or, or in Europe, tell me that, oh, this is a photo you took. And I actually traveled back in time when I actually took the photograph and the events surrounding me taking that photograph and the emotions that evoke by that memory, all that would be missed. It is a computational, artificial intelligence created, machine learned production of something which is not real, but synthetic. I agree. Just as a good side of this is, of course, it's very evident in Lightroom, the way it selects its subjects, the way it does the masking. It takes a lot of the legwork, which we used to take long hours uh, for a retoucher to do. It does that in a matter of seconds today. So it's cut down a lot of post-production time. I should say. That's the good side of it. But of course, the bad side of it is taking extreme creative decisions of its own. I find it almost the Terminator, Skynet, waking up. I would actually say, going back to either writing a poetry from one's personal experiences and emotions, 
and interactions with the fellow human beings and the environment, that, that makes it real to a certain extent than machine actually using artificial intelligence to create something that is synthetic, as I said. Same with you know, the, the example you gave us, Lightroom. Going back to Stone Age, people might have used their fingers and nails to do something on the cave and then might have used a tweak to do something and then they found out they can use another stone to carve and then eventually just developed into sophisticated carving and techniques. So Lightroom is just a tool to help us as humans to, to enhance what we already created. But the creation itself is actually coming from artificial intelligence or the tool, which is actually synthetic. That is not real. Wrapping up the entire discussion, what would you say to a newbie photographer? What would be your parting piece of advice to that person? I have one in my home, my wife, and she tells me, oh, I'm not a good photographer. You know, I can't take good photos. No, I tell her, you have this amazing device in your hand. Experiment. That's number one. Don't be afraid to take crap photos because there is no such thing. And just keep taking. If it's not, take another one. Yep. With that, let's close this podcast. Thank you very much for coming on this at last after chasing you for so long. Thank you, Rajiv. Thank you for helping me to overcome the um, fear of a podcast. Now I'm going to be starting a podcast myself. Thank you very much. Thank you, Kiwi Yogi, too, for coming on this podcast. Incidentally, that is his Instagram handle. You can catch all his Zen-like photos on his feed. Talking about episode 32, I caught up with Ravindran Solomon, a creative director from Wonderman Thompson based out of Chennai, India. He's a visual poet, capturing slices of life on his iPhone and complimenting them with a few lines of poetry. I had great fun catching up with an old friend. So make sure you're subscribed to my Substack channel and not miss any of my episodes. Till then, stay safe and keep clicking.